But this morning I'd like to talk about uh, contemplative discipline. I was very struck uh, not long ago when I was talking to a young woman who told me how she had been going through a difficult time in her professional life and her personal life and she was very stressed and overworked and somebody said, uh, why didn't you do a mindfulness course? So she did the mindfulness course and she found it very helpful. She just learned to slow down and to use her time better and to uh, uh, be more attentive to the simple things like cooking and uh, walking and so on. So very basic, just kind of recovering um, what unfortunately we often lose in our culture. And um, then she said that she began to, in this new space, this more sort of contemplative space that had opened up in her mind, she uh, began to look for something more. There's always something more. And she thought, well, maybe the next thing will be meditation. I'm not sure what that means. And I'm a Christian, so she looked up Christian meditation. And she came on one of, one of our weekend retreats. And um, she, uh, had, she enjoyed it. Well, she had lots of, lots of criticisms. Uh, the way, you know, the things weren't organized in a, in a commercial, business-like way and things like that. I mean, not negative criticisms, but... But anyway, but she actually uh, did uh, find something. And a few months later, I met her and I said... Um, How's meditation going? Because she was in a, one of our young meditation group, meditators groups. And she said, oh, it's going very well. I'm very grateful that I found it. And I'm so glad to have found a discipline. I'm so grateful to have found a discipline. And I thought it's not often that one hears that expression, uh, because discipline usually has a negative overtone, something that's imposed, something we wouldn't choose, um, but something that maybe, I don't know, the doctor or the policeman or the lawyer or somebody might tell you you should do, but it's not uh, often that one has that insight into discipline as something to be really grateful for. And I think that's what a contemplative understanding of discipline means. Listen to uh, some of these comments of uh, John Main. This is the gift to be found in our hearts. The gift of Christ's infinite love. Nothing is more important in our lives than that we should learn by discipline by daily discipline to be open to that love and to receive it with generosity. Simple words and simple ideas really, but um, quite different and quite challenging from what we often hear. We 
might not be surprised to hear that the gift of Christ's infinite love is in our hearts. But then to be told that nothing is more important, this is of supreme importance, that we should learn by discipline and by a daily discipline to be open to that love and then to receive it generously. So we have to learn to be open to that reality that is already given and present in our hearts. We have in some way to activate it or we have in some way to become conscious of it. It's not that we have to create it, we don't earn it, it's a gift, therefore you don't earn a gift, you just it's a gift, it's a gift. Uh, but it's not a passive gift. It doesn't put us into a passive uh, relationship. It calls for a response. And the response comes from our learning to receive it. And that learning is the discipline. The word discipline, of course, comes from the Latin dicere, which means to learn. And then he also reminds us that, that discipline means daily discipline. Because discipline by itself is, you know, I'm, I'm going to give up sugar, I'm going to um, cut down on my carbs, I'm going to fast, I'm going to, as you know, spend half an hour a day learning French, uh, th these are nice abstract ideas, you know, we can fill up a whole exercise book on the 1st of January with all of these good intentions, but to understand it as a daily discipline changes it, because this is the genius of St. Benedict. Um, that uh, he took the, the, the great vision and he sort of concentrated it into a daily, a daily life. And, but by that daily discipline, we learn to be open to that love. That openness is the result of a discipline, it's the result of a work certain effort. And then, as we become open to it, we can receive it. And a gift isn't a gift until you've received it. Imagine uh, you went to somebody's house for their birthday and you brought them a, a gift nicely wrapped up and uh, they thanked you for it and put it on the sideboard, and then you went back uh, next year, <laughs> another gift, and you saw that the gift you brought uh, last year was still there, unopened. What would you feel? Well, they obviously didn't think much of my gift, but they didn't even know what the gift was. So, Therefore, they didn't think much of me. 
And in giving that gift, I was giving a sign of love, a sign of affection, or whatever. And uh, they didn't receive the gift. Therefore, our relationship is downgraded. And our relationship isn't what I thought it was. So, uh, the, this theology of a gift is central to the Christian understanding, I think. Um, and also, the theology of the gift in Christian understanding takes account of the fact that and this is becoming quite metaphorical, of course, but that humanity, our humanity, finds it difficult to receive the gift. And it looks sometimes as if we are rejecting the gift. But maybe it's just simply that we forgot about it, or maybe the gift wasn't open because they forgot. I mean, even that is a little uh, just a little uh, disappointing that they just forgot that you brought them the gift. It's not quite as bad as rejecting it. Anyway, there's uh, all these metaphors we have to be careful of taking too literally, but uh, they do help, I think, us to understand ourselves in relation to ourselves and to the gift that is of that infinite love which is in our hearts. And so this, this, this theology of the gift is um, redeemed, uh, contains a principle of redemption, and the redemption is that we're not punished because we forgot to open the gift, or that we uh, rejected it, we're not punished because of that. God doesn't get hurt and, you know, refuses to come back next year. <laughs> you know, it wouldn't be infinite love if God did respond in that way to our limitations and our forgetfulness and our stupidity. It wouldn't be infinite love, there would be a limit to it. Okay, I'll give you three more years. And if you don't open this gift the third time, that's it. No more. That wouldn't be infinite love. So this is the this is this this theology of the gift. I think is very revealing to us, and it's something we can relate to our ordinary experience, and it helps us to understand meditation, both as a discipline, and as John Main says, as a way of accepting the gift of our own being. So if you open the gift of your own being, you receive this gift, you receive everything that comes with that gift of your being. It's like, you know, your new computer comes loaded, already loaded with certain programs or certain things. Some you have to add to them or whatever, but... And if we accept the gift of our being, 
nothing could be more basic than that, then you are already on the way to accepting that gift of infinite love. Because it's there as part of your being. So John Main confidently associates meditation with discipline and discipline with generosity and freedom. He says we have to receive this gift generously. In contemporary culture with practices like mindfulness and other forms of secular spirituality or interreligious fusion, like restaurants where they have fusion. So a lot of our interreligious spirituality today is kind of a fusion menu. It's helpful to distinguish between discipline and technique. Technique is more compatible with our culture because it is very individualistic. Most of our values are individualistic values, at least in Western culture, whatever we mean by Western culture today, that's not, not a geographical term so much anymore. Technique promises mastery and success. It can be reduced, therefore, into courses, programs, and reduced to rules and it can also be bought and sold. This is not all bad, because it gets us started. And there is a technical aspect to everything we learn, from walking, or speaking, to living in a relationship even, or to music. These are all uh, things we learn, which have, of course, a technical aspect, or we can benefit by practical tips that we pass on to each other or to other people who are starting the, the process. Like an older couple will be able to give some practical techniques for living together to a, a, a newly married couple who are having their first uh, big fight. But a discipline is different. A discipline transcends individuality. In the end, we learn most through love. And love is not about mastery or success. If you don't love what you're learning, you will remain at the level of technique. You may be good at what you do, Say in meditation, you may have a good posture, you may have a good daily practice, you may have uh, begun to calm the mind, but you will remain at the level of technique and therefore you will remain at the level of valuation and control or self-judgment. And then beware if you are good at what you're doing. Because then, of course, you become rather puffed up with pride. This was what the Desert Fathers and Mothers were very 
conscious of. And uh, spiritual pride was the, was the was was the last trap. So how does this relate, though, to learning to meditate? But first, we struggle with the technical aspects: sitting still, saying the mantra. This is what Father John says about sitting still. I can find it. We are not used to the discipline of sitting still, he says. But he says, sitting still can teach us a tremendous amount, much more than we imagine it can. It sounds like a very elementary first step, just sit still. And then, okay, now let's get into the really interesting, meaty stuff, you know, mystical experiences. But actually, he's, he says, the first step is... is one of the most instructive and revealing. And the reason for that is, by learning to sit physically still, we may well be taking the first real step beyond desire. And that's, that's why it is so important when you're teaching meditation, as many of you are, to groups, is, is, is to gently and even in, in more experienced groups like this, gently to keep reminding oneself and others of the need for stillness, physical stillness. So, at first we struggle with what might seem like the technical aspect of sitting still or returning to the mantra. And soon after that, we will experience a chadia, a feeling of discouragement, a feeling we're not making much progress. And because of that, we may give up entirely for a week, a month, or for five years. Then we pass through the achadia with a little help from our friends. That's why a meditation group is so valuable. People will people will say, oh, you're still doing it. Somebody said that to them, oh, you're still doing it. Mm. Oh, I might come back next week. It's a little more serious, more real than I thought. So with a little help from our friends and good witness around us, we pass through the Achadia and we start again. At such times and in such ways, we learn, so in other words, coming back, we learn what discipline means. Discipline, remember, of accepting a gift. We learn that it is not about reward and punishment. You should be punished for not meditating, you think. Because you think it's a good thing to do, and you told everybody you were going to do it, and then you didn't do it. And you were disappointed with yourself. So, somebody's got to punish you. Because if you do something bad, you always get punished, right? So, you punish yourself. Usually through the 
self-evaluation or the self-image that you form about yourself. Yes, I meditate, but I'm a very bad meditator, people say. Or yes, we have a meditation group, but it's very small. (laughs) So, you have to remember, we don't learn through reward and punishment, unless you're a dog. (laughs) Cats don't learn at all anyway. (laughs) Dogs, you reward a dog for being house trained or for putting his paw up. And, uh, and you, you, you teach by reward and punishment. <coughs> well, that isn't how it works in this kind of discipline, in this kind of learning. Our deepest experience in prayer may very well come when we least deserve it, or least expect it. And that may be a connection, because we least expect it, uh, and we least expect it because we feel we, we don't deserve it. And the feeling that we don't deserve it creates in us then a freedom from expectation, which is another word for poverty of spirit. And therefore you are most ready then to receive the gift because you're not evaluating it, or yourself. Through developing the discipline, as John Main emphasizes, we, we discipline, we, we develop an, an, an attitude or a mentality of discipline. And this is really how meditation becomes part of your life. It's your attitude to it begins to move from a technique you're going to master and feel good about because I'm a good meditator to that of a disciple. Practicing a discipline. From the outside it looks the same. But there's a world of difference between being a technician and being a disciple. So through developing this attitude, we come to appreciate the meaning of grace. Gift. And therefore, we come to experience the meaning of God. Reciprocal generosity. The generosity of the giver has to be met by the generosity of the one receiving. That is God. It's why we want to be loved by those we love. The ego retains control over a technique. But by discipline, we let go of control without falling into chaos. We think if we don't control everything, everything's going to fall apart. 
actually the reverse is true. If we let go of control in this way, everything actually comes together, even more effectively than we could achieve by controlling it. And so we begin to live in the spirit. And so we transcend the egocentric state. The ego, remember, bargains, negotiates, and is always reluctant to be generous, whether it's in time, or money, or attention. Almsgiving is in a sense, one of the three uh, pillars of the Christian life, prayer, fasting, and almsgiving from day one. Almsgiving means giving what you can give away and letting go of it once you've given it away. And it's always a good test of our deepest, deeper attitudes, our, the, the degree to which we have made discipline and discipleship part of our lives. Many, uh, many uh, Christian communities speak about the, the, the gift of tithing that they've introduced to their parishes or their communities and how enriching that is to the spiritual life of the community. And uh, we're, we're very ambivalent about money and religion and being asked for money and... Um, but there are many of these <coughs> churches who have had good leadership and have, uh, have, have, have brought out this, this gift of almsgiving uh, as a way of really deepening the spirit of discipleship in, in the members. We usually postpone giving or we give less generously than we could. Just as we often hesitate to make a full, all-out commitment to meditation as a daily discipline. These things are all related. Remember, it's very practical and it's challenging. But it's also very clear in John Main's version. Meditating twice a day is a discipline, and he says it is a minimum discipline. Minimum. So how much are you going to put in the collection plate? 20 cents? 50 cents? 20 euro? I don't think, <laughs> usually don't say and give a minimum. But here, he's very clear, there is a minimum. And he also says, it may take you time, it will take you time. The overwhelming majority of people, it takes a fair bit of time to develop that discipline. But that is, and of course, it's better to meditate once a day than not meditate at all. 
course, it's better to meditate for 10 minutes than not meditate, than not, not meditate at all. But don't lose sight of that standard or that clarity, which is not his invention. It grows out of, out of a very ancient wisdom of the daily discipline by which we keep our life growing and evolving in our relationship to God. The, the important thing is, is how we deal with failure, or what we perceive as failure. If we spend one second too long feeling bad about ourselves, then the failure becomes destructive. We have to learn from failure and move on. That's the only way you become a multi-billionaire. <laughs> keep on <laughs> and, and uh, admit your failure and get over it and learn from it. So it's the same with meditation. The daily discipline of meditation introduces the spirit of discipleship into every aspect of our lives. And that means other-centeredness, the spirit of service, self-control, restraint, fidelity, and conscious living, consciously responding to people and situations. All of these are aspects of what we mean by discipleship. In an individualistic culture like ours, which emphasizes the ego identity so much, being a disciple is very difficult. Um, and it can mean that you, you say, I'll, I'll be a disciple for six months and then I want the top job. You know, as they say this is the millennial um, generation. When they, they start in a company after, I don't know if it's true for everyone, probably it's not true for everyone obviously, but, uh, but you know, after they've been, in fact, the dean of the university told me the other day, he said, uh, the young academics come to him after one year and they say, I'd like a professorship. <laughs> he said, well, <laughs> it takes a bit longer. He said, no, no, I, I, I've done it, I can do it. I can do it. So, the, it's not that you become a disciple so that you can get the top job. As Jesus said, it's enough for the disciple to be like his or her master doesn't replace the master. And if you look into the nature of the master, you will see a disciple. As Jesus himself, uh, as how he saw and spoke about himself in relationship to the Father. So discipleship is not just being you know, second in command or, or tenth in command or you haven't risen up the ladder. Discipleship is the very nature 
of a loving relationship. So the discipline of meditation, because it goes right to the heart of this complex of identity, right to the ego, teaches us the spirit of discipline and discipleship in all areas of life, primarily and obviously in our, our relationships. And discipline undertaken in this generous way changes the way we see and feel about ourselves. It frees us from self-judgment and self-rejection. It dissolves the negative attitudes we have towards ourselves and to the power of failure over us. It enables us to turn failure into fidelity. And it also overcomes the PR, public relations kind of mentality where we are constantly wondering, what do people think of me? What discipline helps us to do, as John Lane says, is to be yourself. Being yourself is being centered. between the two extremes of repressing yourself or beating yourself up and the other extreme of just <laughs> indulging yourself. And both extremes lead to isolation and loss of freedom. This is why John Main emphasizes the relationship between discipline and freedom very central to any human development and to any spiritual path. Let's end with a few more, a couple of more sayings of Father John about discipline. And think of this these in relation to your own journey and how you have, how you are learning the discipline through these days. We come to meditation because we know that we cannot live any longer with meaning in our lives unless we set out in all seriousness and with discipline. And that we set out to be open to the source of meaning, to be found within our own deepest self. This is a discipline that sets us free to be the unique person we are called to be. The discipline of meditation leads us to that state where we can accept totally the free gift of our being from God's hand. And the discipline will take you beyond yourself into pure consciousness, into pure innocence, into pure love. <laughs>